but in uh, this last sermon out of chapter 12, it's uh, basically the sin that God won't forgive. And uh, there's a common problem in our world, and it's the problem of listening, right? We all have a problem of really tuning in, paying attention, and listening. Now, you probably never experienced it with your spouse or your children, unless there was something else going on, and then you did experience it. And the question is, when is there not something else going on? I mean, there's always something that is going on. And so the moral of the story is this. We all have a problem with listening, and we all have a problem with not listening. We have a tendency to shut things down. Now, if I'm watching the Arkansas Razorbacks play in basketball or football, I don't want anyone talking unless they're cheering or groaning. And that's all I want to hear. I don't want to hear, I don't want any mindless conversation going on. I want to focus. And I don't listen very well. And sometimes my wife will tell me, you're not listening to me. I'll say, no, because I'm listening to the Razorbacks. That doesn't go over very well. But in John's gospel, we have a group of people who refuse to hear. They refuse to listen. And I want you to stand with me today, and we're going to see this, and we're going to point out about three or four things. Starting in chapter 12, verse 37. But although he had done so many signs before them, they did not believe in him. That the word of Isaiah, the prophet, might be fulfilled, which he spoke, Lord, who has believed our report? And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? Therefore they could not believe, because Isaiah said again, He has hardened or blinded their eyes and hardened their hearts, lest they should see with their eyes, and lest they should understand with their hearts, and turn so that I should heal them. These things Isaiah said when he saw the glory and spoke of him, his glory and spoke of him. Nevertheless, even among the rulers, many believed in him, but because of the Pharisees, they did not confess him, lest they should be put out of the synagogue. For they loved the praise of men more than the praise of God. Then Jesus cried out and said, He who believes in me believes not in me, but in him who sent me. And he who sees me sees him who sent me. I have come as a light into the world that whoever believes in me should not abide in darkness. And if anyone hears my words and does not believe, I do not judge him, for I did not come to judge the world, but to save the world. He who rejects me and does not receive my words has that which, has that which judges him, the word that I have spoken will judge him in the last day. For I have not spoken of my own authority, but the Father who sent me gave me a command, what I should say and what I should speak. And I know that His command is everlasting life. Therefore, whatever I speak, just as the Father has told me, so I speak. Father in heaven, I pray that you would open our eyes, our ears, and our hearts today that we might see and believe, that we might hear and believe, and know, Lord, that you are the very Son of God. And, Father, I pray that uh, you would remove hardened hearts, remove scales from eyes and open ears. And, Father, I just ask you today to be very real to us, to help, let us worship in truth and spirit as you've called us to. And, Father, I pray this in the precious name of Jesus. In his name, amen. You may be seated. 
Now, as we come to the end of chapter 12, it might be important for you to realize something. This is the last time that Jesus speaks to the multitudes. After this occasion in chapter 12, all he speaks to are his disciples following this, and then the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ comes after that. But this is the, his last words to the people of his day, and uh, basically saying, you're not going to believe, and we're going to move on. And this is the last night that he speaks to them. And uh, in chapter 12, verse 36, we have this word. While you have the light, Jesus is talking to the, to, to the believers and the non-believers alike, that you may become the sons of light. These things Jesus spoke and departed and was hidden from them. So at this point, Jesus is basically saying, you have everything you need. He was talking to the crowds about being the light, that he is the light. And then he begins chapter 12, verse 37 through, through chapter, or verse 50, and he begins to say, there are three distinct crises that you have. And these crises of faith is number one. And their crisis of faith led them to not believe. And you see there's a crisis of faith, and it's really a, a crisis of uh, the heart that Jesus is referring to. He said, you know, your heart is hardened, and you don't want to believe. And the crisis is really, of faith is really a belief crisis. We refuse to believe, and, and, and the Pharisees and those around them had refused to believe. Now, cynicism is the... Uh, Purview of the mistrust of uh, those of us today because of technology. Think about it with me for just a moment. In, in, the, in the Arkansas Democrat Gazette, every single day there is a section called fake news. In the last five, six, seven years, all we've heard about is fake news, fake news, fake news, right? And, and uh, because of, of, of filters, we don't believe almost anything we see on video. We don't, see, we don't believe anything because it's, we think it's doctored. And, and so we basically say, oh, I, I just don't know if I can believe that or not. And there was a poll taken. 55% of Americans believe social media does more to spread lies and falsehoods than news and information. So every, therefore, every other story people think is fake. That's fake. That's not real. 60% don't trust Facebook at all. Amen. <laughs> and 61% think social media does more to spread unfair attacks and rumors against public figures and corporations. Now let's go back to verse 37 again. But although he had done so many signs before them, they did not believe in him. Now, there was a crisis a faith, a crisis of belief. They just were not going to believe. And uh, we see that today. We read this, however, and we wonder how could they not believe? I mean, they saw the miracles. They saw the healing. They saw the power. They saw the forgiveness. They saw the, the, the lame walk. They saw the blind see. They saw the dead raised in their midst. How could they not believe after all they had seen, all they had heard? I mean, it wasn't some illusion like uh, social media is today. They were eyewitnesses. They saw it first 
hand, and yet they refused to believe. Now, John gives us two unique reasons why they refused to believe. Number one, the people chose not to believe. I mean, they willfully chose not to believe. I'm not going to believe that. Again, verse 37, he had done so many signs before them, they did not believe in him. Now, in verses 44 through 50, we begin to, to see as Jesus reiterates the message over and over and over, he's been setting it up to this point, and uh, they still don't believe. And the point is to remind the believer and the reader that they have the truth before them. What they have to do is accept the truth. They know it. I mean, Jesus has done all of these incredible miracles, and he's reminded them over and over and over his, the truth. In verse 44, it said, Jesus cried out and said, He who believes in me believes not in him, believes not in me, but in him who sent me. In other words, you believe in the Father, because the Father has sent me. So place your belief in the Father. And then again, in verse 45, He who sees me sees him who sent me. So the one who sent me, you ought to believe in. Listen, it's the Father. And then verse 49, he said, For I have not spoken of my own authority. I'm not speaking what I want to speak, but the Father who sent me gave me a command, what I should say and what I should speak. So he's saying, listen, everything before you, you've seen, and it's come from above, and you still refuse to believe. They had every opportunity to believe. Now, Oftentimes, when we think about unbelief, we think about indecision, don't we? I mean, just kind of, I don't know. Well, I'll give you an example. How many of you have kids or grandkids? <laughs> all right, you're going to understand the illustration. This happens with our grandkids all the time. Something gets broken, the argument breaks out, somebody's crying, and they come to you and you look at kid A. And you say, what happened? And they'll tell you a story. Then you look at kid B and you say, what happened? They'll give you a different narrative. Then you go to kid C and you get a different narrative. So you, you, you're, you're like scratching your head like, hmm, I'm not sure what happened here. Because you're a little indecisive because you have three different points of view, three different stories or narratives, and, and you are, are just unsure. However, when we come back to our text in verse number 37, there should not have been any indecision because Jesus Christ showed them the truth and they chose not to believe it. There wasn't this, this I don't know if that's real or not. I mean, they saw the blind receive sight. They saw the withered man's hand healed. They saw the man raised, raised from the dead, Lazarus. They saw these things, and yet they consciously chose to dismiss the truth. And that's exactly what we see here with the Pharisees and those with them. So the crisis of faith, number one, the people chose not to believe. Secondly, the Lord did not allow them to believe. In verse number 40, He has blinded their eyes and hardened their hearts, lest they should see with their eyes, lest they should understand with their hearts in turn, so that I should heal them. So basically what's transpiring here is they, they've hardened their heart to the point that Jesus has said, you know what, I'm going to harden your heart even more. Just like He does in, in the book of Romans. 
And uh, they, they had uh, seized believing. And, and God said, all right, fine. You want a hard heart? I'll give you a hard heart. In verse 38 through 41, he said, that the word of Isaiah the prophet might be fulfilled, which he spoke. So he's saying, you know, the prophet was true. Lord, who has believed our report? And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? Therefore, they could not believe because Isaiah said again, He has blinded their eyes and hardened their hearts, lest they should see with their eyes, lest they should understand with their hearts in turn, so that I should heal them. These things Isaiah said when he saw his glory and he spoke of him. So in one sense what we have going on here is the crisis of faith, the rebellious hearts of man. God said, all right, you, you, you want to come to the place where you don't want to believe? Good. I'll harden your heart so you can't believe. And they couldn't at that point have faith. And now, sometimes we, we see that and, uh, and we think, now, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. Why would, why would God do something like that? I mean, why would He do that? Well, this isn't the first time that happened in the book of Deuteronomy and, and chapter 29, verse 2 through 4. Now Moses called all Israel and said to them, You have seen all that the Lord did before your eyes in the land of Egypt to Pharaoh, to all his servants, to all his land, the great trials which your eyes have seen, the signs and those great wonders. Yet the Lord has not, has not given you a heart to perceive and eyes to see and ears to hear to this very day. In other words, you have, you have refused. You have hardened your heart against God and you have not been receptive. Therefore, I'll go ahead and harden your heart worse. We also see this in the book of Isaiah, chapter 6, verse 9 and 10. And he said, go tell the people, keep on hearing, but do not understand, keep on seeing, but do not perceive. Make the heart of this people dull and their ears heavy and shut their eyes. Lest with their eyes they should see and hear with their ears and understand with their hearts and return and be healed. Now, essentially the Lord's saying, you go and preach and, and you teach, but the people's hearts are going to come harder and harder and harder and harder and they will not hear. Now, do not think this is an injustice because we think, well, well you know, God's a God of love. Folks, the people, the Jews had a problem with hardening their hearts. And, and, and they were always hardening their hearts against God. And, and we get a bit of insight into this in the book of Acts chapter 28 when it says, Therefore let it be known to you that the salvation of God has been sent to the Gentiles and they will hear it. Thank the Lord, we're Gentiles. <laughs> and we hear it. We hear the message. And most, if not all people here have repented and, and given their life to Christ. So, that is the crisis of faith, or the crisis, if you wanted to say, of unbelief. But there's a second crisis, and that's the crisis of fear that these people were uh, experiencing. And this is the picture that Jesus is telling the disciples in verse 42 and 43. Nevertheless, even among the rulers, many believed in him. But because of the Pharisees, they did not confess him lest they should be put out of the synagogue, for, here it is, they love the praise of men more than the praise of God. Now, I've known people like that, haven't you? They would rather have the praise of man than the praise of God. Now, what we're getting here, John gives us really an adequate picture so we can understand, and the disciples could understand 
what Jesus is saying to them. And essentially, it all basically starts with the understanding of what faith really is. And it is the embrace and the acceptance of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And it causes us, therefore, to be obedient to Christ. So, we don't love the praise of men more than the the praise of God. We want the praise of God. The first thing about a true disciple is this. A true disciple of Jesus, they do not disguise their faith in Jesus. If you're a true disciple, you're not going to say, Oh, no, 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 I'm not not a follower of Christ. I'm not a follower of Christ. Because you you, you move in and out of these relationships. And some people, you know, they're like, No, 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 I I don't want to be identified with Jesus. Just think about it. Think about it. What what did Peter do when he was confronted? When Jesus was beaten? Oh, no, I don't know that man. No, I don't don't know him. And what did he say lastly? He cursed, and then he ran out because he heard the cock crow. So here we have a group of followers that seem to be under the radar. In verse number 42, it said, Nevertheless, even among the rulers, many believed in him, but because of the Pharisees, they did not confess him, lest they should be put out of the synagogue. They feared man. They said, oh, no, 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 we we can't do that. We can't say anything. Now, what what type of a belief did they have? You see, their belief was unwilling to confess Christ. And I'm not sure about you, but I, I, I know where I stand on this. There are no secret followers of Christ. You can't have it both ways. You can't be a fence straddler. And according to John, this does and cannot exist. The person who disguises their faith and basically comes in and out of the shadows and comes into the light, uh, they may have an intellectual belief, but their heart hasn't been changed. And when God moves into our life, our heart is changed. And we're no longer the person we used to be, and, and, and we stand for our faith. But because of the fear of the Pharisees, they chose to be silent. And it's not a time for silence. And that's true of so many. They have this intellectual belief, but they do not have this heart belief. You see, when we become a follower of Christ... There are several things that that we want to do. A believer, number one, should be baptized. Number two, they should become part of the local church. They should participate in the Lord's Supper. All of which are public expressions, outward expressions of an inward faith that has transformed us into a new reality. And, And we're saying, Lord, I am yours. And people ask me all the time, well... Why should I be baptized? Well, the truth, it's it's very simple. Because I want publicly people to know that I am a follower of Christ. That's why. Fear, however, led them to say, Oh, no, 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 we, we, we can't do this. And I wonder how many believers kind of, You ever been that way? Don't expect anything. You ever been in a situation where it was really uncomfortable and you were around a lot of people that were not believers? And it may ostracize you if you say, yeah, I'm a believer. So you stay silent. 
fear. Second, true disciples of Jesus do not desire the praise of men. Now this is the believer who expressed their belief openly and publicly uh, with and before people. We say, you know, yes, I am a follower of Christ. And we consciously acknowledge it and we're unashamed of that. And uh, today in our world, listen, I'm telling you, you, you claim to be a follower of Christ you're probably going to be ostracized. You're probably going to be stigmatized. You're probably going to be criticized. You're probably going to be looked down upon. You're probably going to be berated as narrow-minded, bigoted, and unintelligent. That's okay. Because the praise of God is much more important than the praise of men. You know, there, <laughs> the people didn't confess because of fear of the Pharisees, and then other people confess because they fear people. Oh, yeah, I'm a follower. (laughs) In both instances, they want the approval of man more than the fear of God. You know, the fear of the Lord is a good thing. It's a good thing to fear the Lord because the Lord is to be feared, and that is the beginning of wisdom when we actually fear the Lord. It brings wisdom, it brings joy, it brings peace, it brings life when we fear the Lord. And we should fear the Lord. It's all over Scripture. The psalmist said in Psalm 112, Praise the Lord, blessed is the man who fears the Lord, who delights greatly in His commands. The Apostle Paul said these words, Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, not only in my presence... But now much more in my absence. Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you both to will and to do His good pleasure. So we are to trust and follow the Lord. And seemingly, that was the root of Israel's unbelief. They were unwilling. They were seeking the approval of man over the approval of God. And they would just either keep silent and not say anything. Or they would... Go back into the shadows. Now let's put it all together in verse 41. These things Isaiah said when he saw his glory and spoke of him. So John is saying, what happened here is (laughs) we had to put it all together because the approval of man is fleeting, but the approval of God is eternal. So which do you want? And then lastly, and I'm done, We've seen the crisis of faith. We've seen the crisis of fear. And the third thing that John lets us know is the crisis of finality. The crisis of finality. This is how John ends the passage in verse 46, 48, I mean. He who rejects me and does not receive my words has that which judged him. What is it? The word that I have spoken. It will judge him in the last You see, there's coming a time when all opportunities for belief will come to an end. And then the opportunity will no longer be there. There's a day for every single one of us that that's out there. I don't know where it is, when it is, but it's there. And no one will stand with an excuse in that day. In Acts chapter 17, verse 31, it says, Because he has appointed a day on which he will judge the world in righteousness by the man whom he has ordained, he has given assurance of this to all by raising him from the dead. Who is that? Well, we know that's Christ. And then in verse uh, Hebrews chapter 9, verse 27, it said, It's been appointed unto man to die once, but after this, the judgment. 
The promise of judgment is real. We see it throughout Scripture. Probably one of the best places we see it is in the the, uh, book of Genesis with Noah. 120 years, he built an ark, he preached. They rejected, they made fun of him. And then the day of judgment came and he, his wife, his three sons and their wives entered the ark and then God shut the door and then the rains came. But it was too late to get on the ark. Can you imagine what a horrible day that was? People ran for higher ground, climbed trees, went to the highest mountain, but nothing would work. The water continued to rise. Judgment day had arrived. Sir Thomas Fuller said these words, You cannot repent too soon because you do not know how soon it will be too late. John, why didn't you preach something a little more positive than that? Because I'm preaching through the Bible. And that's what came next. And people need to be warned. Right? I mean, too often we just, you know, make me feel good, pat me on the back. Sometimes we need a slap in the face. Because reality is here. If you've never given your life to Christ, this is your opportunity. Do not wait another day because you don't know how soon it will be too late. Let's bow. Heavenly Father, I thank you. Thank you for your word. I thank you for your gift of salvation. I thank you for the opportunity to hear and see and believe. And I pray, Father, that uh, we would continually share your truth and your good news. And I pray for anyone here today that needs to become part of the family of God, that you would draw them because no one can come to Christ unless he is drawn. So Lord, may your will be done. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.